0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Cheo English Ministry in Sydney. We believe that God speaks through His Word, the Bible. We pray that as you listen, you will hear God's voice and be moved to worship His Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father and our God, we thank and praise You for giving us Your Word about Your Son. We pray that as we look at Matthew's Gospel today, that you'd help us to understand all the more who Jesus is, his magnificent authority, and his care. Father, we pray that you will teach us about your kingdom, and we pray that we might find ourselves part of your kingdom today and on that great day. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Uh, You may or you may not know about that Australian band called Weddings, Parties, Anything. Uh, You may or may not know about them. They were quite active back in the 80s and the 90s. They were kind of a a low-key pub band from Melbourne. Uh, Well, one of their songs, which I think is a really great song, I like this song, one of their songs is called Scorn of the Women. Scorn of the Women. Uh, This song is sung from the perspective of a man in the 50s back in the 1950s. And he is thinking back over his experience of the previous decade, the 1940s. The 1940s, as you know, of course, was the time of the Second World War. And at the time of the war, this guy, the guy in the song, he's an Australian guy, he had just gone to enlist himself in the army, but he failed the medical. His eyesight wasn't good enough. And so, in the song, he says this, riding home slowly, I sat on my tram, not sure if to laugh or to cry. He wants to laugh because he doesn't have to go to the war. He doesn't have to go fight in this war. He doesn't have to go get himself killed or seriously maimed. He wants to laugh, but at the same time, he wants to cry because he knows that everyone's going to think of him as a coward. Well, he gets a job making aircraft, but he finds that this life is unbearable. So the chorus goes like this. So don't sing no songs about waltzing Matilda. Don't tell me I tried. Don't tell me I failed. Because all I recall is the scorn of the women and a white feather that I received in the mail. Back in those days, people would send white feathers to cowards. Well, this man, he talks about how miserable he was. And he says this in the song. He says... There's more than one way you can cripple a man. There's more than one way you can cripple a man. It's not just hurting or injuring someone physically that can cripple them. If you exclude them, if you scorn them, if you reject them, that can cripple a man as well. He eventually concludes, Sometimes when I think back to the 40s, I pray for my very last breath. He thinks it would have been better to be dead, rather than to face the shame and the scorn of being called a coward. People say, oh, as long as you've got your health, you're okay, that's all that matters. And let's stop right there. To be honest, there's a bit of truth to that, isn't there? Like it's important to have good health, it's important to be healthy, uh, it's good to not get sick, it's a good thing to not be frail and to get sick and to die. But there is more than one way you can cripple a man. Health is not the only thing that makes life bearable. Something else that can make life miserable is to be excluded, scorned, outcast, rejected. Now, I'm sure that many of us, if not most of us, have got our own stories of what it feels like to be excluded to be left out, to be dogged, to be nigelated. I remember a a few months ago, there was a group of us talking about this subject, talking about our own experience of being excluded and nigelated and rejected, and talking about how we felt. And uh, I'm not gonna lie, I think some of you need counseling. Um, (laughs) To be honest, me too. I was uh, severely bullied during my primary school years, and I forget about it, but I think it's kind of affected me. I need counseling also. Uh, But my point is this, we all know what it's like, right? Most of us, if not all of us, we know what it's like to be excluded, to be shamed, to be scorned, to be nigelated, whether it was as children, right? Maybe it was that Macca's party you didn't get invited to and it's kind of been a PTSD in your mind, or maybe it was that elusive time zone birthday party that you weren't invited to, um, or the old men rise up, <laughs> right? If you don't know what time zone is, don't worry about it, it's a thing. Um, or my own personal trauma, my personal nightmare, I get flashbacks of this. It's funny, but it's not that funny, but it's kind of funny. Um, two captains at school sport. You know where it's going. It's rough. Two captains who the teacher, for some reason, makes them choose teams, right? And, you know, you're little and Asian and unathletic like me. You stand there, you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and, you're waiting, and you get chosen last. Uh, that's, it felt like dirt. I can still feel it. It's, it's rough. Um, or maybe... A little bit later, it was that peer group at school. Maybe it was that group of friends that you've really looked up to, the group of friends that you really liked. Maybe you wanted to be a part of this cool group of school students, but for whatever reason, they didn't accept you. They didn't let you in. Um, For me personally, I remember one of the lowest moments of my high school life uh, was when I was kicked out from my group, and now we're all old and look back and we think that's funny and we laugh, but I remember being kicked out from my group um, because of something stupid that I did, and I felt like I lost 10 of my closest friends in one go. And I can joke about it now, but back then, I'll be honest, it was really hurtful. It really hurt. It felt like, I'm not even exaggerating, at the time, it felt like my whole world was collapsing. It felt like I lost all my friends. Some of us, most of us, dare I say, All of us, we've had moments where we felt scorned, rejected, excluded. Moments like, but maybe we were on the outside looking in, and all the people on the inside were pointing at us and laughing at us. Or maybe, maybe you've moved here from another country. And to be honest, you've been living here for a while, but if you're honest with yourself, you don't quite feel like an Australian. You don't really feel true blue, if you know what I mean. You don't feel like you belong here. Maybe when you think about what it means to be an Australian, maybe you don't fit the stereotype or something like that. But if you go back to the country where you're originally from, you don't quite fit in there either. So maybe you're stuck in that weird limbo place where you kind of don't really belong anywhere. A few years ago, uh, Jane and I went on a a very short holiday to Korea, and even though we were there for just a little bit, um, and even though I was born and raised here, I thought it'd be a good thing to visit my motherland, right? Or my parents' motherland. Um, And I figured, well, I don't know when the next time I'm going to come back. So out of respect for my heritage, I made it a point to have as many conversations with randoms and with locals as I could. It didn't matter who they were. Random shop owners, waitresses, waiters, taxi drivers, Uber drivers. It didn't matter. I wanted to have a conversation with anyone and everyone. And even though I looked just like them, and even though I can kind of speak Korean a little bit, it was so clear to me that I didn't belong. I, I, I don't belong here. We long to be accepted, don't we? That's one of our deepest desires, I think. All of us. We have this deep desire to feel like we belong somewhere, to feel like we have a place. It is a deep human need indeed. And so it's true. There is more than one way you can cripple a man. Well, today we pick up where we left off four Sundays ago, where we finished going through the Sermon on the Mount. So we finished that chunk, which was chapters 5 through to 7. And just to give you a quick recap, Jesus has been preaching and teaching. He's been doing his thing. He's preaching and teaching. And at the end, it says there, we read, that the crowds are amazed. Why? They're amazed because of Jesus' authority. They're amazed with the authority that Jesus claims. He claims to know who is in God's kingdom. He claims to know who's in heaven and who isn't. But more than that, he claims to actually be the judge, the gatekeeper, the one who allows or disallows entry into God's kingdom. Come back with me in your Bibles. Maybe turn back a page. Look at chapter 7, verse 21. Let's put this in context. Chapter 7, verse 21 uh, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus is speaking, and, and just have a look at who he thinks he is. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's pretty amazing, don't you reckon? I don't really get why some people say things like, "Ooh, I like Jesus and I like what he says in the Sermon on the Mount" or something like that. Because if Jesus is not who he claims to be, then this is the teaching of a lunatic, an absolute fruitcake. is It's an utter like a lunatic. This is the teachings of a crazy man, right? Like, this is, when you think about what he says, it's a pretty stunning claim. Jesus reckons that he decides who gets to heaven. He's saying, I am the Lord. I am the judge. I decide. Well, it's no wonder that the crowds are amazed at the authority he claims. Look at verse 28. Chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Jesus taught with authority. He claimed to have power, power to say what's true about God's kingdom, power to say even who gets into God's kingdom. But of course, we all know that talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Jesus can claim power all he wants. So what? The question is, is his claim true? Does he actually have this authority that he claims? And that brings us to the next section of Matthew's Gospel. In these next few chapters, in these next few chapters, we kind of follow Jesus around for a little while, and Matthew tells us nine stories Matthew tells us nine stories that involve miracles that Jesus did. Nine stories of nine different miracles that Jesus did. Nine stories, actually, that show us that Jesus is more than just talk. These miracles that we see, they demonstrate Jesus' amazing and powerful authority. And these miracles that we're going to read about, these miracles, they also give us a clue. They give us a foretaste. They, they give us like a demonstration, a preview, if you like, of what Jesus' kingdom of God will be like. And today, in our time together, we're gonna to look at the first three of the nine stories, the first three miracle stories. Let's get in the first story. The first story is about a man with leprosy. Uh, you may or may not know, leprosy is a terrible skin disease, terrible. Back in those days, it was untreatable and it was oftentimes fatal people would die from leprosy. Leprosy was a dreadful, dreadful sickness to have. But, in the Jewish religion, leprosy was more than just a sickness. It was more than just a medical condition. Leprosy, back then, it made you, under the Jewish law, it made you unclean. Leprosy made you unclean, and that meant social exclusion. That's what it meant, social exclusion. Uh, Have a look with me at this quote from the law, uh, from Leviticus chapter 13. This comes from the Old Testament law, Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45, 46. Look at what this says. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Let the hair be unkempt. And some of us think that's okay. That's fashion, right? Uh, but, But it gets worse. Look at this. Uh, Torn clothes that you are heavy, unkempt, cover the lower part of your face and cry out, Unclean! 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 You're giving people a warning to stay away, because getting in contact with you would make them unclean as well. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. What does it say? They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Now no doubt, there are good reasons for this law it stops the spread of this highly contagious disease. There are good reasons for this law, but there are also religious reasons for this law as well. But can you see what it would have been like? Can you imagine what it would have been like if you had leprosy? It would have sucked so bad. It would have been so unimaginably terrible. It's not just the sickness and the pain that comes with that that makes it unbearable. It's not just the sickness that's the problem, it's the uncleanness. It's a social exclusion. I mean, how awful to live life like this. How awful it would be to live all alone, isolated. How awful it would be to never have anyone touch you. Psychologists say that for any human to be healthy emotionally, they need at least five human touches per week. Imagine how awful it would have been to live life without a human touch. This this exclusion, living alone. No one is allowed to come near you. Everyone, no doubt, is afraid of you. People, even little kids, are pointing at you, making fun of you. People, they see you coming and they cross the road because they want to be far away from you. There is more than one way you can cripple a man. And this man is crippled in more than one way. But this man... He's somehow heard about Jesus. He's heard of Jesus' great authority, and he believes. He believes that Jesus can heal him. More than heal him, he believes Jesus can make him clean. And he believes it. There's just, there's just one question in this leper's mind. Just one question. Would Jesus be willing? I know he can do it. Would Jesus be willing? Like, would Jesus be willing to come into contact with someone like me? Would Jesus be willing to come into a contact to breathe the same air as an unclean, filthy leper like me? Let's see what happens. Look with me at chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you were willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Just stop. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine what that would have felt like? How long has it been since this man has been touched by anyone and now with this one touch from Jesus, he's healed, he's cleansed, he's cured. Oh, this guy, he must have been happy. right? He must have been ecstatic, mustn't he? He must have been overjoyed, this is crazy. He must have been emotional. I get emotional when I think about this. He must have been jumping up and down with joy. He's cured. More than that, he's now welcome again. He's welcome back into society again. He's welcomed. He can come back into community. He can come back into community life and all that that entails. For this leper or ex-leper, the scorn is over. He can be accepted and embraced at last. And that's the thing that Jesus focuses on. In the Jewish religion, if you're healed from a skin disease, you have to go to the temple, which for this guy would have meant a trip to Jerusalem. You'd have to go to the temple, and you would have to go through an eight-day ritual of cleansing. It involved various washings and sacrifices and so on. So Jesus says to the guy, well, go on, get straight to it. Go and offer the sacrifices that you're meant to do. Go and do it. Go and do it as a testimony that you're really cured And then you can really be, legally be, readmitted into society. Look with me at verse 4. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. All right, that's the first story. Story number one. It shows Jesus' authority, doesn't it? It shows that Jesus has the authority to heal and to cleanse And it also gives us a glimpse of the kingdom of God that Jesus is establishing. It's going to be a kingdom without leprosy. More than that, it's going to be a kingdom without uncleanness, without impurity. This kingdom that Jesus is establishing is going to be a kingdom where there will be no more exclusion. There will be no more unclean, unclean. In this kingdom that Jesus is establishing, there's no more living alone. There's no more... Living outside the camp. If you have a place in this kingdom, you have a place where you truly belong. That's story number one. Story number two. The next story is a little bit different. The next story is a little bit different, and yet, in some ways, it's exactly the same as the first story. Second story. This time, Jesus meets a centurion. That's an officer in the Roman army. It's an officer, it's a military man. Uh, this centurion, he isn't Jewish. Uh, He's not Asian like you and me. He's probably a Gentile. He's most probably a Gentile. Here we have a Gentile centurion. Okay, He says he has a servant who is in, quote, terrible suffering. How? He's paralyzed. He's a paralytic. So this Gentile centurion has a servant who's paralyzed. Now, again, it must have been a terrible disease. It would have been a dreadful thing to live with. But similarly than before, this disease isn't the only issue here. You see, for a Jew like Jesus, Gentiles were unclean. They're excluded. Gentiles are excluded from the people of Israel. They're excluded from the people of God. They're excluded from the kingdom of God. A Roman soldier is an enemy of Israel. A good Jew Would never go eat in his house. A good Jew would never go near his house. A good Jew would never be his friend. A good Jew would never do this guy any favors. One time, actually, uh, God told the apostle Peter to break this rule. God told Peter to go to the house of another Gentile, actually, another centurion, funny enough. And have a look here at the first thing that Peter says. It's on the screens, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, verse 28, first half. Um, Have a look at the first thing that Peter says. This is what he says You are well aware. That it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. That's a nice way to start a gospel conversation, right? Don't do that. Don't be like Peter in Acts chapter 10, verse 28. Now, back to our story in Matthew 8. Like the leper, the centurion believes, he believes, he believes that Jesus can fix his servant. He believes that Jesus has authority to heal him. But just like the leper, there's only one question in the centurion's mind. The question is this, would Jesus be willing? Would he be willing? Would Jesus be willing to even come into contact with an unclean Gentile like me? And so he goes to Jesus, the centurion. He's hoping for help, but he doesn't actually ask for help, you'll notice. He kind of just presents the situation. He kind of just lays it down. He kind of just tells Jesus how it is. Look at verse uh, five and six. Matthew chapter eight, verse five and six. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus responds with a question. Don't you hate him when people answer a question with another question? But Jesus responds with a question And the emphasis of this statement is actually in the word I. Okay? Uh, So if you're using an old translation of the NIV, I think they made a mistake there. But the new translation has got it right. Look at verse 7. The emphasis is on the I. Verse 7. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? Jesus is saying, You want me to go and heal him? You, a Roman soldier, want me, a Jew, a Jewish leader? To go into your house and heal your servant? Not looking good. But this centurion has strong faith. And he's got an excellent idea. You see, this centurion, he knows what it is to have authority from above, from Caesar in his case. He knows what it therefore means when he gives an order. If he gives an order, it doesn't matter if he's there to supervise or not. He has the authority of Caesar in his orders. If the centurion gives an order, people jump. If he gives an order, it gets obeyed. So, the centurion figures, Jesus doesn't have to come into my house because just like me, Jesus too has power from above and in Jesus' case, from God. Jesus doesn't have to be there to supervise. Jesus can just give the order and it'll happen. Look with me at verse eight and nine. Verse eight and nine. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to the servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus is impressed. Jesus is amazed at this Gentile centurion's faith. And he takes a chance to talk about God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. In the future, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, it's going to be chock-a-block full of people just like this Gentile centurion, people who have been excluded from Israel through the Old Testament, Gentiles who have no place among God's Old Testament people. These Gentiles, if they have faith in Jesus, just like this centurion, then they will have a place at the feast. They will have their place among God's covenant people. They will join in the festivities. But meanwhile, in a terrible flip side, the natural people, the Jewish people, if they refuse to have faith in Jesus, then they will be excluded. Faith in Jesus It doesn't just bring healing. It does bring healing. It doesn't just bring healing. It brings acceptance. It brings welcome. Acceptance with God. Acceptance with God's people. Faith in Jesus, it breaks down the barrier between Jew and Gentile. If you are trusting in Jesus, you have, get this, a place in the kingdom of God that Jesus establishes. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you're from. If you have faith in Jesus, then in God's kingdom, you have a place where you truly belong. Look at verse 10, verse 10 to 12. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will have their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so Jesus accepts this Gentile centurion's solution. At this stage, as a good Jew, Jesus is not going to go into a Gentile home, but he will give the order, he'll give the order. Look at verse 13, verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. And that's story number two. Again, same, same, but different, right? Different, but actually the same. Can you see what's going on? Can you see that we're given insight into the authority of Jesus? That's what it's about, right? The second story. Jesus has authority from God to heal, even by a word. Jesus has authority from God to heal. And also, can you see that we get another glimpse of this kingdom that Jesus is establishing? This kingdom will be a kingdom without sickness, without suffering. This kingdom that Jesus is establishing, it's going to be like a feast, a feast where people from every nation can join. It's going to be a feast where people from every nation can come and take their place. They can find their belonging. What's their way in? What's the ticket? It's to have faith in Jesus. That's the second story. Story number three. Uh, Story number three, and this story, it actually has lots of healings in it, uh, but the only one we're told about in any detail is actually the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Now, I'm not sure if Matthew's making a mother-in-law joke here, right? Like there's lepers, there's Gentiles, and there's mother-in-law. <laughs> right, the three classes of despised people. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have a great mother-in-law. Um, all the married people are like... <laughs> um, right, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Matthew's trying to make a point. Maybe here are three classes of people that you would never expect to see in heaven, Right? Lepers, Gentiles, mother-in-laws, hey, listen, I'm tired, hey. um, Look, I suspect, I suspect that that's not what Matthew is saying. (laughs) Um, Although, it is worth noting that Peter has a wife. Can you see that? I mean, a side note, a question, can Christian leaders get married? Well, apparently so. Uh, And I think there's another area where our Roman Catholic friends have clearly got it wrong. Here is Peter with a wife. I I take it that Peter has a wife. If he's got a mother-in-law, he's got a wife. I mean, you'd feel pretty ripped off if you got a mother-in-law, but you didn't get a wife, right? But here we have Peter. He's got a mother-in-law. He's got a wife. Can Christian leaders marry? Well, apparently so. You'll also notice here, just a a side note, you'll also notice that Peter here owns a house. Are Christians allowed to own a house? Well, apparently Peter had one. Anyway, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law And also we read that Jesus heals lots of other people who have come to Peter's house. And Matthew tells us that this actually is a fulfillment of a prophecy. This is the fulfillment of a prophecy from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Look with me at verse 14 to 17. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came... Many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Now, if you've been at church for a while, or if you grew up in church, or if you've attended lots of Good Friday services, this is a familiar passage for you, right? It's from Isaiah 53, our first reading today. And in context here, this quote is incredibly significant. This is actually one of the most important parts of the whole Gospel of Matthew. This is super important. You see, in this quote, Matthew is telling us here the secret to Jesus' authority. Can you see that? In this quotation, Matthew he's actually giving us the key which shows us how this all works. Here is how Jesus is able to bring people into God's kingdom. Here is how Jesus is able to ensure that there will be no sickness in God's kingdom. Here is how Jesus is able to ensure that there can be full acceptance in God's kingdom for lepers, for Gentiles, even for mothers-in-law, full acceptance in God's kingdom. It all comes down to the cross. It all comes down to the cross. In Isaiah 53, it talks about the servant of the Lord and he talks about how the servant of the Lord is able to is able to win a place for God's people in God's kingdom, and how he does it. It's by bearing our sickness, by bearing our exclusion, our scorn, and our punishment and our death on Himself. On that cross, Jesus fulfilled. Isaiah chapter 53, on that cross, Jesus paid the full price for our sin. On that cross, Jesus bore the punishment that brings us peace. On that cross, Jesus took up our sickness and our death. On that cross, Jesus bore our scorn and our rejection. On that cross, Jesus was rejected and excluded so that we don't have to be. So that we might be forgiven and embraced and accepted. So that we might be healed. So that we could be cleansed. So that we could be accepted. So that we could be embraced by God. So that we could have our place in God's kingdom. A place where we do truly belong. It all comes down to the cross. This cross behind me, as you can see, is there to serve as a reminder of who this Jesus is and what he has done for us. So every single Sunday you see this cross, remind yourself, it's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus dying for us on the cross, taking my curse. The cross is the key. All right, friends, can you see what's here in this passage from Matthew? Three healing stories, right, of nine. We're gonna tackle them later, but three healing stories, the leper, the centurion, and the people at Peter's house. And in the context of Matthew, in the flow of Matthew, can you see how it works? Can you see what the point of this is? This Jesus, who's taught the Sermon on the Mount, this Jesus, who's claimed such authority, the point is this, he's not just words. Talk is cheap, yes, but it's not just words. His authority is real. His authority is true. He has the power that he claims to have. Power to establish God's kingdom. Power to say who is in and who isn't in. Power to say what it will be like. And here, church, we've got a taste. We've got a taste of what the kingdom of heaven will be like. This kingdom will be without sickness, without suffering, without leprosy, without exclusion, without scorn. It's gonna be a place without uncleanness. Christian, this kingdom will be a feast where God's people will truly belong and where they can rejoice together forever. What's the point? Jesus has the authority to do it. Friends, listen to me. Listen to me. I have great news for you. This Jesus is alive today. He's not dead You can't find his bones somewhere in the Middle East. He's alive. This Jesus, this crucified and the risen Jesus, he's alive today, and he has authority today. He is able to give you a place in his kingdom today. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've done it with. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter how unclean or how dirty you might feel before God. It doesn't matter how other people think about you. It doesn't matter how people treat you. It doesn't matter if people accept you or if they reject you. It doesn't matter. You can join the feast. There is more than one way you can cripple a man. All of us in this room, all of us, we know what it is to be sick. We know the tragedy of living these short lives punctuated by sickness, suffering, and death. I'll give you a summary of the human life. It's all about events. You get born, maybe you get baptized, you attend a bunch of birthdays, then you attend a bunch of weddings, and then other kids' birthdays, and then you know what happens? A few decades go by, no events, and then you start attending funerals until you attend your own, and that's the last event you go to. That's a human condition. Quite miserable, marred by sin. All of us know what it is to live these lives. We know what it's like to lose people that we love. But more than that, more than that, we know what it's like to be an outsider as well, don't we? We can relate with these guys, right? We we know what it's like to be scorned, to be rejected. We know what it means to be left out, to be ostracized. We know the shame of being a stranger, of being an alien, a Nigel, of not fitting in. And we know that pain, and we know that it's a genuine pain, isn't it? It's a crippling pain. But church, here is the awesome news. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way forever. Not if Jesus is your king. Not if you're relying on his death on the cross for you. Not if you've asked the risen Lord Jesus, to bring you into the kingdom of God, Jesus has the authority to do it. If you are trusting in Jesus, you have a place at the feast, at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and with God's covenant people. And in that place, at that feast, God's people, we will suffer no more. It's gonna be a place where we truly belong. There's only one thing left to say. Praise God for Jesus. Praise God for Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious and merciful and loving and compassionate Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who on that cross bore our sin and death and sickness and scorn and exclusion. We thank you that he now has the authority to welcome us into your beautiful, magnificent, eternal kingdom. Loving Father, eternity is not going to be enough to thank you. You are so kind to us. You are so gracious to us. And Father, we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.